0: The fury of the virus illustrates the folly of war. It is time to put armed conflict on lockdown and focus together on the true fight of our lives.
1: Dear listener, we find ourselves amidst a true global crisis. Our interconnectivity is more apparent than ever. Nothing seems what it
0: once was. Now is the time to radically realize a world which holds violence and conflict and stops excluding women and youth. As Chris continue to breathe, Peace Builders worldwide continue to work on a more peaceful world for tomorrow. This season is all about the Peace Builders making this needed change possible.
2: Listen to their inspiring stories and reimagine this new reality with us.
0: Welcome to the Peace Corner Podcast, brought to you by GPAC, UNOI you know Peace Builders, CSPPS, and PASS Peace.
2: Welcome to today's episode of the Peace Corner Podcast. I'm excited to talk to Jordan Stevenson, a graduating senior at Eastern Washington University, and is finishing up as Policy Advocacy and Communications Coordinator at Stand, a student-led movement to end mass atrocities. And Mina Ayazi, Youth Peace and Security Advisor at Search for Common Ground, from a distance, of course. Today we're excited to dive deeper into Jordan and Mina's work on the US Youth Peace and Security legislation and working in the peacebuilding field. So Jordan, I'd love to start with you. Could you tell us a bit about your journey to becoming a peace builder?
1: Yes, and um, thank you for having me. Um, so my journey to becoming a peace builder was sort of from a variety of social movements um empowering youth on issues that i just always cared about like sexual and reproductive health and rights, climate justice, civic engagement, local politics, criminal justice, immigrant rights, etc. And so in um, trying to integrate all of those different issues and fields into one umbrella, I think peace building sort of runs the gamut on everything that I care about, and is a great way to uh, empower young people to take action and organize their communities.
2: Thanks, Jordan. And Mina, can you tell us a bit about your journey to becoming a peacebuilder?
0: Sure. Thank you so much for having me um, on this podcast. My family's from Afghanistan, and I kind of grew up as this transnational human being dealing with the transnational effects of the conflict in Afghanistan. And uh, my hyphenated identity as an Afghan-American brought about this very complicated understanding of the conflict, um, of my personal identity, and then on top of that, my family was very involved in peace building in Afghanistan. Um, my grandfather was involved heavily in politics. And um, my aunt and my mom did a lot of uh, grassroots peace building work. And so I kind of grew up around this idea of peace building. Um, and so naturally, when I got into college, I was like, OK, studying peace building. OK, I'm a peacebuilder. Um, And I just I plunged myself into the world of peace building um, because it felt natural and it felt it came out of a sense of duty to my transnational privilege and identity um, to really give back to to the world.
2: Thank you both. We're, We're really excited to have you on the podcast and it sounds like you're both made for this peace building work. In December of this year, the UN Security Council Resolution 2250 on Youth Peace and Security will reach its fifth anniversary. Young people are often key figures in political or social movements. However, this leadership rarely translates into being able to actively represent themselves at decision-making levels. It's, of course, great that we've had this resolution for five years, but how are young people to continue continuing to push beyond policy, and what challenges and opportunities do you see ahead for us?
0: Well, ever since the introduction of uh, Resolution 2250, we have seen a surge of youth activism all around the world. Simply looking at the rise of Greta Thunberg, for example, right? Seeing her go to foreign governments and speak about the importance of of climate responsibility, um, that alone has been really powerful on a top level and also on a grassroots level. Um, The climate movement has really been a transnational movement of young people from Afghanistan to the U.S., to Colombia to Sri Lanka coming together and saying, hey world, enough is enough. We are here and it is time for you to listen to us. Um, Aside from the climate movement, young people are getting active in their communities in so many different ways, um, uh, for example, in South Sudan, they're running talk shows and radio shows to spread the message of peace and counter uh, counter negative narratives uh, around violent extremism. Um, in Afghanistan, young people are painting murals on the walls to to promote peaceful elections. In the United States, young people are running for office at an unprecedented level. Um, so really, we're seeing this, this movement of young people catalyze in ways that the world has quite frankly never seen before, simply because young people are realizing that they're not just the leaders of tomorrow, but they're also the leaders of today. And a lot of that power comes from this global recognition of young people's power.
1: Yeah, so I think that... Um seeing youth take a role in peace and security, as Mina said, um, we're seeing it all over the world. And we're also seeing people build cross-coalitional movements um, where they're taking issues that used to be very siloed issues like gun control or climate or um, foreign policy and building you know movements, utilizing digital organizing, utilizing the very sorts of technologies that we use to record this podcast, um, to build bridges across societies um, and across communities to bring people together. And I think that it's really um, exciting to see all of these young people coming together on the same issues, but people who otherwise wouldn't have met.
2: Thank you. I see a lot of sort of our generation sort of inherently seeing seeing issues as intersectional. And I really hear that in your work and in these examples of how youth have stepped up to recognize that like peace isn't an issue that's devoid of all of the other issues, that it really cuts through all different issue areas. So one reason that I was really excited to talk to both of you is that you're both heavily involved in the U.S. Youth Peace and Security legislation, advocacy, and organizing work. Um, I wondered if you both would be able to talk about Sort of on one level, what is the U.S. Youth Peace and Security Act and sort of how is it different from uh, U.N. Resolution 2250? But then also, what does your organizing work look like in that space?
0: The Youth Peace and Security Act of 2020 is an exciting and bold piece of legislation that will take uh, Resolution 2250 and turn it into practical policy for the U.S. government. What it does is, number one, It recognizes the important and critical role that young people play in peace and security processes. Number two, it amends US foreign assistance to directly support youth-led programs and youth-led initiatives um, that the United States supports. Oftentimes, youth organizations and youth-led initiatives are at the bottom end of the food chain um, of aid distribution, and this is really trying to shift those systemic barriers. Number three, it helps include young people in some top-level decision-making within U.S. foreign policy through the establishment of a Youth Advisory Council. And number four, which I think is the most important thing that this bill does, is it sends a message to the world that, it, that young people matter, young people are important, um, and it is long overdue that governments start prioritizing young people in peace and security processes. Uh, this bill is the very first piece of legislation that is that is translating 2250 into national policy. And um, it's really putting the US as a leader on, on the YPS agenda on so many fronts. In terms of my personal role, I've kind of been involved in organizing a lot of the legislative advocacy for the bill, helping draft a few Uh, a few sections of it, um, helping uh, bring different peacebuilding organizations and humanitarian organizations and young people together to do advocacy for the bill, um, and also helping um, bridge the gap between um, youth leaders abroad and youth leaders in the United States to really make the case for why youth peacebuilding is important to include in U.S. foreign policy. Yeah, so I would echo everything Nina said. I would add that the US
1: YPS agenda also is going to integrate a lot of programs that we already have or have already seen sort of as one off programs into just a unified strategy. Um, like she said, really acknowledging the power of youth in peace building um, and the power of youth as leaders, um, political, social leaders in their countries. Um, which I think is really important because it's for a lot of administrative reasons, it's a lot more efficient to have good policy that's you know more simplified and more focused um, instead of just having all these one-off programs that I've looked into um, in learning about YPS. Um, so how the way that I've been involved in organizing around YPS is through Stand, the student-led movement to end mass atrocities, the student and youth-led movement now. Uh, This year, I helped design like campaign materials and place letters on YPS as the, you know, national policy advocacy and comms coordinator. Um, And though I'm graduating, uh, my colleagues at STAND are really taking up the torch to, you know, build bridges between youth and other countries and talk about how you know, young people in the United States can utilize their privilege and power in advocating in U.S. foreign policy to get through legislation that will impact people of all over the world. So a lot of what that looks like is just educating young people, getting them to go talk to their Congress uh, congresspeople um, and you know, write letters, et cetera, et cetera.
2: Thanks both. And Jordan, I, I want to dive a little deeper into that last bit that you were talking about growing up in the U.S. myself. I think a lot of times when we think about peacebuilding, we think of it as something that happens over there, that peacebuilding is, you know, something that happens in other countries that's these programs by these big organizations. But what what does peacebuilding look like in the U.S.? And how can young people in the U.S. be involved in U.S. peacebuilding and for advocating for pieces of legislation like the YPS Act?
1: Yeah, for sure. I think I had that same problem of sort of when I was getting introduced to this thinking, oh, well, that's something that happens elsewhere. But once you get into the nitty gritty of what peace building looks like in a like in a very like micro level setting, it looks like, you know, just talking to people, doing community building, healing from shared trauma, taking action to create a more equitable future for your community, hosting community meetings, you know. And these are tactics that we see across movements in the United States. I mean, arguably, we've had peace building through different kinds of um, rhetorical forms, like the civil rights movement is a form of peace building. Now, right now, youth are getting involved in like greater uh, capacity in all sorts of different movements, like the March for Our Lives or the International Youth Alliance for Family Planning. There's organizations that are doing work where everything is being driven by youth. So one of the ways that you can get involved in YPS and peace building in general as like a young person is definitely joining STAND. Um, We have a state advocacy leadership program where young people can join and design their own local campaigns. It's incredibly effective in foreign policy and youth issues since they're so few voices talking about this on the grassroots that just a handful of young people can make such an enormous difference, and we've seen that already. Um, we have a trove of materials on youth peace and security, and more to come um, to help people get set up and running local campaigns and targeting their legislators, um, but also hosting community meetings and coming together um, and looking at things that that fe- that their community faces. Like Mina was talking about her identity and her family history, and that's true of so many people in um, our country is they they come from all over. And, you know, finding those stories and sharing those stories is such an important part of peace building is giving people the opportunity to share their story, because there's power in that. And there's healing in that. And I think as we lead on the advocacy and policy issues that we're passionate about, we're inherently contributing to a peace-building movement that is worldwide and encapsulates so many growing social justice movements, as we said earlier, that are being driven by youth. So thinking about the tactics that we can employ in doing that, it's been really interesting as part of STAND to be exploring that.
2: You both can't see, but my, my arms are covered in goosebumps. That, that's really powerful and really exciting. Mina, where where do you see opportunities for youth to get involved?
0: Well, um aside from the the great ideas Jordan had, it also goes a lot beyond Policy advocacy. We talk about youth involvement in peace building. We're talking about the informal informal role that young people also take in building peace and, and shifting the world towards a culture of peace, be it breaking up a fight in your local high school or mediating conflict between your siblings on a Saturday morning or simply helping an elder person at a supermarket. Mother Teresa said peace starts with a smile. And it's oftentimes young people who are leading that charge. And I, I meant to say this earlier as well, but Long before 2250 and long before this YPS legislation, young people have also been leading the charge for peace building. I mean, if you look at social movements throughout history, it's been led by young people. So I think it's also really thinking objectively um, about the various roles that young people can play as mediators and bridge builders and change makers and catalysts for peace. And the opportunity just lies in our collective ability to be very creative in the ways that we want to build a more peaceful
2: world. Thank you, Jordan and Mina. That, that's so exciting and so many great opportunities for youth across the U.S. and around the world to get involved in youth peace building. Uh, for listeners at home, we'll have, uh, we'll have links to resources from Stand and Search for Common Ground in, in the show notes. Now, I want to dive more specifically into stories of change. Where have you seen positive changes happen? And what roles have youth played in making these changes? Jordan, we'll, we'll start with you on that one.
1: So I think I've seen really positive change um, on the peace building front um, all over the world, really. And I think Mina can speak to a lot of the, the international implications of that. But right here through Stand, I've seen a lot of young people go from um, not really understanding the political culture that allows them to assert their dominance um, I've seen a lot of young people go from frankly having never lobbied having never organized a, an event in their um, hometown never you know really talked to their neighbors about politics to you know waging campaigns um, I think a really great example of this is a campaign that was sort of being run by a young person in Tampa, Florida, who um, was just trying to get out the word as much as possible about, you know, atrocities committed abroad, um, the U.S. role in that, um, and what we can do concretely to change that. And so, I think that there's sort of these these small changes that I think become really important. I um, they have that snowball effect that we have with young people um, where you talk to one people, one young person, you train one young person and suddenly 20 people know just because of the power of young people to spread information very, very quickly um, because of you know our, our unique relationship with technology. And I think the unique energy that we see from a lot of young people um, through STAND, for example, we have many, many high schoolers getting involved. um, And that's been really exciting to see.
0: Well, right now we're living through a global pandemic and it has been extremely difficult for everybody. And for our generation specifically, it is the first time we have seen the world collectively suffer. And unfortunately, young people have been um, scapegoated as, as the problem or the spreaders of this virus. But the reality is that young people are on the ground mitigating the effects of the virus on a daily basis. Um, they are literally on the front lines of, of making the world a safer place in the midst of a global pandemic. And at Search for Common Ground, we're seeing this reality all around the world. In South Sudan, for example, um, young people are taking advantage of their already established uh, a radio show called Youth Talk, um, where they're spreading really life-saving information about um, how to protect yourselves from the virus. Um, And I mean, this is replicated all around the world because young people play a very informal role um, in, in spreading information and building peace. Almost every single youth peace builder that we talk to has a glimpse of hope and has such creative and innovative ideas on how to bring about change and keep the world positive. I mean, simply, uh, one thing we're, we're continuously seeing is young people are bringing their communities together in online platforms to talk about mental health and self-care, um, to break down taboos and myths around the virus. And um, that is really showing the power that young people have in, in, in crises like right now um, the UN Youth Envoy uh, Weekly on her Medium page uh, highlights 10 young people globally that are uh, spreading life-saving information and materials during during the pandemic right now. And I highly recommend everybody to go check that out every week when you are feeling desperate um, or unhopeful, just to see a glimpse of hope. Because not only are they mitigating the, 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 the crisis right now, but they're planting the seeds for preventing unrest and further dis- stress in a post-COVID world. Um, And at Search for Common Ground, that's just something that we are um, trying to support as best as we possibly can and are are really holding onto as our glimpse of hope. It's something we saw during the Ebola crisis, and it's something we're seeing even more right now.
2: So you both touched on youth being able to be messengers for good public health information, especially in this moment during COVID-19. On previous episodes of the Peace Corner podcast, we've talked about how around the world we see problems with transparency and information dissemination around COVID. Where have you seen youth overcoming these challenges and being those messengers for good public health information during COVID-19?
0: Sure. So the reality is that young people have an inherently non-threatening nature, and because of that, they're often trusted in informal, in informal sectors of society. Um, In Cameroon and the Congo, we're seeing young people have access to -to hard-to-reach communities that are poor and illiterate, and they're sharing orally through social distancing measures um, some very life-saving information that is changing the fate of the crisis around the world. And this is something that young people. had learned from the Ebola crisis, and so they've 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 taken lessons learned and are applying it right now during COVID. And Afghanistan, um, unfortunately, young men are the the sole uh, breadwinners in in society, and they're they're spreading life saving materials to to families that are not able to access simple necessities like food, water, and 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 um, you know masks and hand sanitizers. So uh, we're seeing young people also take up very creative measures. I mean they're. Creating infographics, they're holding um Zoom sessions on mental health. Um, they're blasting uh they're blasting messages of, of- public health and safety on in their cars and driving around their communities. So um, the innovation and creativity that you see young people have in so many other ways in social justice movements and political movements, um, they're utilizing that very same energy in mitigating this crisis, and it is making the world a much safer place in so many ways. And at Search for Common Ground, we're doing our best to partner with and support them. Um, because the reality is that they're doing things that governments and and, and institutions cannot. And without partnering with young people um, and supporting them in those efforts, it's almost a, a disservice to not only mitigating the effects of the virus right now, but also in preventing unrest in a post-COVID world.
1: Yeah, I would echo that. And I would also say that at Stand, we've been working with um, diaspora groups and also um, young youth peace builders abroad um, to t- really sound the alarm on what communities are facing both abroad as well as at home. Um, I think it's it's no secret that in the United States, there are many health disparities faced by racial, ethnic minorities, um, and low-income folks. And so young people have really been using technology, um, social media especially, to spread information about this and sound the alarm on it and and make it known to people um, the disparities in how, you know, response to the virus has been implemented, as well as in the disparities in how communities are being communicated to by leaders. Um, And I think that that's really important because it's not just, you know, um, everything incredible that Mina was talking about with all the young people really responding to this, but ensuring that young people are continuing to get information about the response and about the lasting impacts of what happens after the virus is over and how has this exacerbated exacerbated existing inequalities in society.
2: So as COVID-19 has completely changed our reality and how we look at the world, when it comes to youth peace builders, how has COVID-19 presented new challenges in their work? But then also what opportunities might they have that weren't around before?
1: Um, So I'll take a stab at this. Uh, One of the major ways that COVID-19 has affected peace building is just the practical logistical elements of not being able to be in a room to talk to people. And, you know, not having that physical presence um, can limit the amount of uh, strategies or tactics you can use in healing and um, sharing stories, etc. I think that you know, we said we kind of underestimated the power of just sharing a coffee with someone um, beforehand and getting to know someone and having just a one-on-one meeting with someone who uh, maybe disagrees with you or doesn't see eye to eye. And those sorts of community building tactics are really, really important in our work. That said, I think at Stand we've you know we've always been a remote based organization, so the opportunities are that we've been really making connections with. Um, other organizations and other youth that um, are spending a little bit extra time online and seeing all of the uh, difficulties that COVID has exposed. As I said earlier, it's really exacerbated so many existing issues in society. And I think that we've been seeing youth saying like, you know, this is so horrible and this is really upsetting and I'm seeing it so much even in my own community now, um, whereas I really didn't see it before. Um, So how can I help? How can I get involved? Um, And because STAND was a remote-based organization from the beginning, um, we've been able to host a digital organizing webinar um, with Mina, actually about youth peace and security and how young people can use technology um, that many of us do have um, to you know, organize their communities to reach out, to do all of the you know advocacy work that we ordinarily do um, in person, but thinking of new creative ways to reach that. And one of the um, more positive side effects of this is that decision makers have been more open and more willing to explore virtual options for lobby days and for, you know, they're more responsive to phone calls, et cetera. And I think in some ways that's good because it democratizes that access um, to decision makers. It's really important in advocacy. Um, So I'm really heartened by the work that Stan's doing on that and the work that a lot of other youth organizations Is doing, are doing to um, sort of mitigate the effects of COVID and use it as an opportunity to capitalize on increased access to decision makers um, so that we can start talking about use, peace, and security and um, all this other legislation
0: that we're really interested in. So the reality is that COVID-19 is a transnational crisis. It knows no boundaries in terms of nation state or class or ethnicity or religion, and it is affecting the rich and the poor alike. But the opposite reality is that young people poor people are getting hit the worst by this crisis. Across South Asia and Africa, for example, the majority of daily wage earners and essential workers are young people. And the majority of the sector is made up of those daily wage earners. So as we see the economic impact of this crisis, it is young people that are being hit the worst. Um, On top of that, uh, you're seeing young people's uh, young people's ability in physical spaces also diminish, but that also presents um, an opportunity, right? As Jordan was saying, young people are turning towards forms of digital advocacy and digital organizing, but that also presents a challenge in and of itself because in poor and fragile countries, there's a really big gap in access to digital spaces among poor young people. Um, in Afghanistan, for example, we're seeing a lot of of young people not able to join really important uh, conversations around the ongoing peace process in um in parts of africa we're seeing young people not able to access really important information around COVID 19 simply because they don't have access to a telephone or internet um, and that is really devastating in a lot of ways but as i mentioned earlier young people are trying to bridge that gap in so many different ways as well and um On top of all of this, when we think about uh, building a world anew and we think about what a post-COVID world will look like, it is undeniable that a post-COVID world is going to consist of a really big push by young people to change existing systems that are failing to respond to COVID um, and to shift multilateral international response systems to become more transnational to impact such a transnational pandemic and transnational crisis. And the reality is that young people are inherently transnational beings. Uh, I mean, look at our conversation right now, right? We're spread all across the United States and the world, yet we're having this really critical conversation. And it is something that young people have been doing long before the pandemic. Um, Search for Common Ground and Stand, for example, um, we're... We're very virtual organizations that are doing um, that are doing peacebuilding work very virtually, and it's going to be young people who are leading that charge that are going to build the world anew um, and really rethink the way uh, systems respond to not only. Uh, health crises and pandemics and economic situations, but also in shifting conflict prevention systems around the world. Um, the UN was founded out of a major global crisis. It was founded out of out of out out of a global war. Um, so it's exciting to think what young people are going to do to build a more peaceful world this time around.
2: Thank you both, Mina and Jordan. I just wanted to say that it, it's been a pleasure and an honor to to share the space from you and to to hear from you today. I think it's easy to look at things like COVID-19, a you know 30 year peak in violence, all of these trend lines and sort of lose sight of hope. So I wanna hear from both of you as we close today, where do you see hope in the world going forward?
1: So I, I just wanna tell a short story of hope that um, powers me through the day and is what really gets me through the work when it's really tough. Um, we have at stands the Burma Working Group Committee. Um, it's co-led by a young woman named Jan Jan, who is uh, part of the ethnic Kachin diaspora from Burma. Um, and recently the Burma Working Group Committee um, had a, a call with um, some young peace builders from an internally displaced people's camp in Burma. and. The call went really well, and we got to know people from um, Burma, and we got to understand sort of the conditions in the camp and what was going on and what was happening with COVID and all of that. And I think what's really incredible is the way that people are able to build connections, and especially young individuals are able to build connections with people from all over the world, from the most unlikely of places, um, and use that in our advocacy. So you know, if you're ever feeling, um, you know, disappointed or scared or upset, I think, I think of Janjan and I think of how um, the Kachin community has experienced suffering and has experienced, you know, persecution and has experienced being in IDP camps. And yet we have this brilliant young woman who is so enthusiastic and so excited every time she has the opportunity to advocate and to lead on this issue. Um,
0: I think of Jan Jan. Yeah, um, I mean the reality is this is a really difficult time for the world, right? And as I mentioned earlier, this is the first time our generation has seen the world collectively suffer. But it has also been the first time our generation has seen the world come together in an unprecedented way. from holding online vigils for those that we have lost to um, to just spreading messages of hope on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. I mean, young people are really ensuring that the world stays together during this very, very difficult time. And, you know, world crises, while are extremely difficult and extremely uh, stressful for for so many people, particularly poor people who are getting hit the worst, it is always young people that bounce back up and bring the world back together um, and provide avenues for change and, and, and ideas for improving systems that are failing. And I am i mean, we're already seeing that, right? There's a, a an, something called the Greater Good Initiative that started by two really great young peace builders here in Northern Virginia that is really about bringing young people together to respond to COVID-19. And that's something we're seeing all around the world, right? Um, In India, there's an organization called Youth for Peace International, um, which Search for Common Ground partners with on a lot of stuff. And particularly, they work with us on the USYPS Act. And they recently started a Youth peacebuilder campaign where they're passing around their Instagram account to young people from around the world um, to, to kind of show what a day in the life of a peace builder during COVID-19 is like. And I mean, I urge you all to go follow follow Youth for Peace International on Instagram and simply watch this Instagram story and see the really great ideas and messages of hope that young people are spreading through one simple Instagram account. Um, I really see hope in young people, and I have no doubt that i our generation will lead the shift to creating a more equitable and just world after the pandemic is over.
2: Mina and Jordan, thank you so much for joining us on the Peace Corner podcast this week. It's been inspiring to hear both your personal stories about your work, uh, but especially those points of hope that we see from youth peacebuilders around the world and the great work that they're all doing.
0: Yeah, thank you for having us. Thank you so much, Sander. Here's to a more peaceful world. Thanks for listening to the Peace Corner podcast. We amplify the voices that pursue a sustainable peace, especially now in the face of a pandemic. Keep reimagining a better world with us. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you might be listening.